Hello and welcome to Special Features, the only podcast on the internet that talks about the past, the present, and the future of popular culture. And today, Mm. we are delving back into the past. My name is Lexi Toliopoulos, and your name is Cameron James. That's true. And today, uh, we're finally doing something we've been talking about for quite a while Teasing, teasing mm-hmm. each other about... <laughs> we definitely have been teasing each other about this. <laughs> today, ladies and gentlemen, people that listen to the podcast, today we need to talk about Kevin. And the Kevin we will be discussing is Kevin Smith. Mm. He is an iconic filmmaker, a raconteur, a podcaster, a hero to the little guys like us. And a guy that will not be afraid to turn on his front-facing camera Mm -hmm. and cry about a comic book movie. Or a comic book TV show. Or a Star Wars. He's very much a filmmaker that speaks to our generation Mm. and to generations previous to us, Mm -hmm. such as... The Gen Xs. Yeah, sure. And I think he really captures uh, this idea of, I guess it's kind of like a postmodernism, if you will, mm. where it's like film speaking to itself and film, film speaking to culture quite directly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like what his inspiration has been to us because he's kind of like a modern blue collar, born and raised filmmaker who did it all on his own, and there's so much mythology around Kevin Smith being a clerk, working at, like, dead-end, crappy service jobs, and then making the iconic clerks. Yeah, I know. So when you first heard about or started your Kevin relationship... (laughs) Kevin-ationship? Your Kevin-ationship. What was the one that drew you in? Well, let me give you my biographical story. Mm. I was a teenager working in a video store. Mm-hmm. And what should I see upon the shelves? A movie about that experience, <laughs> about being a clerk, or as we say in Australia, a clerk. I don't know why I said that with an American accent, the Australian version with an American accent, but, you know, I guess I'm a strange fella. And so is Kev. And I remember watching that movie for the first time and just being like, this is freaking snitchy boochie. So was Clerks the first one you watched? Absolutely. Really? Yeah, it was. And I would have been like 16, 16, 17 on the cusp of- A cusper. I was a cusper. Uh, What year do you reckon this was? Uh, Gosh, it would have been like mid-2000s. So mid-2000s and the first one you watch is the original one, Clerks. That's wild. Maybe I'd seen glimpses of like Dogma on TV or something like that. Dogma was the first one I definitely saw. And oh, I actually might have seen, because I knew my friends in primary school had seen Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Mm. And I guess because I was like a Star Wars dweeboss, like seeing like that title and that font of the title evoking my nostalgia for Star Wars. Nostalgia, it was at the time. It was the first time I liked it. You were so nostalgic for... <laughs> for like five days yeah, earlier. Five days. That's what happens when you're young. You do mm. start to miss things that happened six months ago. You close your eyes, open the back up, and go, God, I miss what I was looking at previously. God, I miss lunch. That was awesome. <laughs> God, little lunch. God, I have great memories of oh, little lunch. I miss lunch. that Dunkaroo so bad. <laughs> and so I think it was, uh, I, I kind of had an idea of who he was, but then in my clerk's era, I was fully on board. Like I mm. watched all of that early era of stuff that had come out previously. It would have been 
I would have seen it around the time Clerks 2 was coming out or had just come out. Mm-hmm. And so I think I was like kind of going them chronological order. And uh, we had all the DVDs at the store, including the Evenings with Kevin Smith. Like we had everything. Evening Harder. And I, fu- I and fully became <laughs> completely indoctrinated by him. Wow. And uh, it, to the point that I remember when I went to film school and I had a class that was a cinematography class. It was called like Image and Shape or something like that. Some <laughs> bullshit title. Oh, Image and Color or something. Arts. The arts is so stupid. I know. Just go, girl, yeah, camera movement or it, some yeah, shit. Just call it, fucking directing and Pointing. Shit, we call it pointing Point the camera. Point and shoot, dude. <laughs> and I remember like... Like um, being like, yeah, this class is bullshit, man. Kevin Smith doesn't care about what his movies look like. It's all about the dialogue, man. It's all about the dialogue. And then like the teacher being like, okay, you got a thing or two to learn and just being like, okay, maybe I should listen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And also it's not true. Kevin Smith really does care what his films look like as well. I mean, sometimes it's not like he's the most sophisticated Mm. filmmaker of all time, but he does put some effort into the aesthetic. I'd say there's a definite Kevin Smith look, Mm. the way his characters dress and the colours that they wear. Yeah. Anyway, so I... So what was your intro? Well, Dogma for me was the first one I saw. Oh, my God. Did you turn you into an atheist? Yeah, of course. Really? Of course. Oh, my God. The power (laughs) of Dogma. Of course it did. This would have been in about the year 2000. Mm -hmm. I was in year seven at the time. And I just uh, started or joined my first band with a bunch of guys from wow. Year Seven. The fellas. And one of the guys. What was the band called? You have to admit it. Uh, we, I mean, we went through a lot of different names, but I think the first one was New Prophecy. Whoa! And yeah. the New Prophecy is one derived from the two greatest prophets, Kevin Smith and Mr. Dawkins. <laughs> the Dork and Dawkins. <laughs> the Dork and the Dawkins. Uh, yeah. So the drummer from that band was a fan of, I wonder if this was out. It must have been the Clerks animated series. Oh, yeah, yeah. It I think, was out and about. I think that was out around then. And so he got me into the Viewersk universe. Dogma was the first one I watched. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. Then Chasing Amy, I was like, okay, it's a little more serious. Mm-hmm. Not really my thing. Then Clerks, loved Clerks, 37 dicks, all that kind of stuff. Dead guy on the toilet. And then Jane Silent Bob Struck Back came out at the cinema, 2001. I saw it at the cinema. I saw. I was Mm. like, I'm now a prophet of, I'm now a follower of this guy. I'll go and watch this movie in the cinema. And I saw them on the big screen. And I'd probably only been familiar with Kevin's work for about, Nine months by this point, Bet. but I was like, man, all these callbacks. I mean, that is I the human gestation period. He I was your, he yeah. was feeding you through that beautiful umbilical cord of <laughs> DVDs. That movie hit me so hard, mm. and I watched it again recently, expecting it to not hold up, and it still held up for me. Really, I still think it's got a lot of good gags in it. I actually think that's quite a common uh, thesis going. Back to the old early era of Kevin Smith's mm. filmography mm. because I feel that way going back every time. I feel like you can never return home. But I watched um, Clerks to me, it, it's an undeniable classic. Undeniable. It, going back, it's like because it was so cutting edge at the time and yeah. it's so unique at the time. And it's. Dude, th- it's black and white. I actually think that's beautiful. I think that's so beautiful because it's kind of got this like really 
powerful mix of amateurness mm. that creates and informs authenticity. Like the grainy black and white is out of necessity, but it creates style. The dialogue is precise and unique and it creates style as well. The amateurness of the acting, I think, really also creates authenticity. I think that the two lead performances in Clerks, Dante and Randall, played by the Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson. And Jeff Anderson, yeah, two of the greats in my opinion. Uh, of amateur there was a actors. time where I did think Jeff Anderson could be mm. a, a guy. He could I be one so. of the guys. I think so. It's a surprise that they're not. He doesn't care. He yeah. apparently Jeff Anderson's the one that never wants to come back. Wow. Every time. Kevin wants him. He's like, oh, I don't want to, man. I don't want to be an actor. Wow. And then every time he comes back, he fucking steals the show. Yeah, he's a crusher, man. Yeah. And I think that that there's such an authenticity into that. It's an alchemy. Like, it's mm. more than the sum of its parts. Something is created with that. And to me, it's undeniable. But when I go back to watch Chasing Amy, my partner and I watched Chasing Amy a couple of years ago, maybe mm-hmm. during a lockdown of some kind. And I had a trepidation. I was like, oh, boy, what if this this does not hold up? But I was surprised by how much it did. Like, even the elements that are clearly dated, like, you mm. know, it's the uh, culture and politics and identity politics have evolved a lot since then. But I think it speaks quite naturally to the time and is very progressive for the time. Yeah. And so I think going back to it, it like my – it osaged my, I guess, my tension straight away. Yeah. And I found it quite moving, quite funny, and, you know, insightful to who men of that type were back then. I mean, it's pretty ballsy for your third film. Your first one is like a breakout indie, indie comedy. Mm-hmm. Your next one is essentially a live-action cartoon. Yeah. It's fucking Looney Tunes. It's Wile E. Coyote and shit. And then for your third one, you're like, I'm going to tackle – like sexual politics of the 1990s and queer politics. I'm going to have a love triangle. Um, I'm going to have, you know, like the the second male lead is potentially queer as well. Mm. Like there's it's, – it's a pretty ballsy move for him. I, I, I've had a funny relationship with that movie. I didn't love it when I was a young teen, mm. but then later teen years it became – the one I loved the most. Yes, yes. Um, and then since then, I think I've found it a bit lame, but I haven't revisited. They do, they do sort of revisit it in the Giant Sun Bob reboot, mm. which we won't talk about now. But <sighs> I've not even seen it yet. Uh, they they tackle the legacy of Chasing Amy and the complicated politics of it all as well, and it's interesting the way that okay. he handles it. That's so interesting because I think that. For me, seeing that movie, like I don't think I ever loved it as much as Clerks. Maybe I loved it more. I can't quite remember it, but I. More Rats is the one I liked the least. Me too. I never really loved More Rats. Yeah, it's a bit and stupid. I just I could never get into it. Maybe like you said, it's that live action cartoonness about it. Mm. Now, like you know, I never really loved movies like The Mask and stuff until later years when you and I revisited them together. Like you know, your Mister Accidents and stuff, your your Yahoo Seriouses. <laughs> 
Uh, so I think when we go back to, I think now God, Yahoo series would be so stoked to hear his name mentioned alongside Jim Carrey and Kevin Smith. Oh yeah, I think he'd I be pretty so. stoked. Yeah. I mean, I would mention him like among other luminaries as well. Among uh, like Mr. Bean, Mr. Bean, big time. Yeah, Aussie Bean, I call him Aussie Bean. Yeah, baked yeah. Bean. I call him the baked bean jaffle. He's the baked bean jaffle, mate. <laughs> That's what we call him That's here what in we Australia. Call him down under with chasing Amy. I think because it was strong for something quite bigger and ambitious mm. and I think it did so rather beautifully and I I just really love that movie I don't love it as much now but I love it as an artifact of its time mm. quite deeply and I think it is I mean it's probably the movie that made me love Kevin so much so uh, as someone who's not a Catholic that's mm-hmm. you I'm talking that's about me. now and as someone who is a Catholic that's me. you I'm pointing back at you how did you feel about Dogma? I found it very interesting. I've only probably seen it once, maybe twice. Wow, really? Yes. And you know what? Why that is? It's impossible to find now. It is completely wrapped up. Is it not in, on anything? I don't. Oh, the Weinsteins have it, don't it they? It is the one that they are really holding onto tightly. Um, That's that, right. So it, it has. There's a physical release of Dogma on Blu-ray. And let me tell you how much it goes for on eBay right yeah, now. Fuck, it's not streaming on anything. It's on nothing. It's impossible to find. I swear I watched it recently. Maybe I watched it on like a, uh, probably a streaming site. I reckon you probably were on like a holiday and it was an Airbnb <laughs> DVD. <laughs> but let me tell you how much Dogma goes for on Blu-ray because it was a decent physical release many, many years ago. It is one of the most highly sought-after titles. There is uh, out-of-print special edition currently going for... 289 Australian dollars. Wow. $137. It's, uh, there's no copies below $100 is what I'm seeing here. And uh, the highest is probably sitting at... Yeah, the highest is above $300. So That's it, insane. It is a very valuable collector's item now, mm. Dogma. So it's hard to watch. I remember having the DVD from the video store, and I quite, I really liked it, but I think it's because I am f- kind of drawn to almost like the Terry Pratchett kind of aspect of it, of being like the old gods interacting with yeah. the modern world. I love and I, that. I find that fantasy element... Uh, something that I really, I really love it. You're I really, really guy. love it. I'm a fantasy guy, and I think that kind of like modern fantasy doesn't, you don't see much of it. Um, like, who's that guy that uh, the other fantasy writer uh, collaborates with Terry Pratchett? Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, who's oh. I'm thinking of. Is that like the Good Omens? Good Omens was the one they did together, uh-huh. and there were a few other things. I remember being really into that idea. I think I read Good Omens maybe a couple years after I saw Dogma, but I there's something about that I find really interesting in kind of reconciling old ideas of religion and trying to reconcile them in a modern context yeah. and like how what that relationship is. I find it really fascinating. I think Kevin uh, was actually perfectly equipped to do that and i think his sense of humor as like this kind of acidic uh element in it works really well but i also Mm. haven't seen that movie since i've like had pubes and a job (laughs) you know it's been a long time well i mean it's like so childish there's a big shit monster in it and stuff Mm. like that and like there's 
you see Alan Rickman's fucking mound of no penis and <laughs> yes. there's lots of jacking off <laughs> yeah. jokes and stuff. But as a like 12-year-old, 13-year-old watching that movie and also someone who was struggling with my own feelings towards faith or Catholicism or whatever, mm. um, it was monumental in yeah. my life. And it, it shaped my uh, own sense of humor towards the church mm-hmm. in many ways. Like I would say... I'm not an atheist. Um, I'd also say I don't really know what I am. I'm not. An, I'm not quite an agnostic. I'm not a, a believer. Right now, I just don't think about it mm. at all. It's not really something that crosses my path. But I can find myself getting spiritual, or if I'm with my grandparents and stuff like that, I can tap into those feelings again. And I respect the fact that they have crucifixes on their wall yeah. and all that shit. But watching Dogma. I think watching it again recently, I, re- I was reminded by how much I loved it because it is a movie. It's not an atheist movie. Mm. It's very much a Catholic movie. Mm. God exists in the movie. Angels are real. Yeah. God Kevin exists is not and he's saying, court sometimes <laughs> and he's a lot of other times. Kevin wasn't saying like this is stupid and we should mm. mock it. He's saying that it's been taken – uh, out of context and it's been misappropriated and these very old ancient spiritual beliefs have been turned into something close to profiteering by mm. the Catholic Church over the years. And I love that. And that is my attitude now towards yeah. the church. It's fucking formed by him. It's formed by Buddy Christ yeah. and by George Carlin and all that wow. kind of shit. Um, and I, I love it. I actually, w- watching it recently, yeah. I was like, man, this movie is sick how come people don't talk about it anymore? Yeah. And I actually think what works really nicely about it is that it is an agnostic movie, basically, where it's kind of like these things are real, they're undeniable, but it's how the modern world interprets them. And that's kind of like what religion is. And I think that's the aspect that I'm really drawn to. Or it's not part of the movie, and that's how I think about it, because well, that's what that's I believe. That's what art is, you my know, friends. That's what art, I believe. Uh, and also, can I say... I would love a double feature mm-hmm. of Dogma and Wings of Desire. Oh, my God. That, okay, that's it. And maybe that's what pushes me to buy that Blu-ray so we can do a screening <laughs> of it somewhere. When we watched Wings of Desire for the mm-hmm. podcast a year or two ago, whenever well, it was. Even longer maybe now. Uh, I was moved to tears multiple times yeah, during that movie. It beautiful did, movie. I didn't want to watch it. I was mm. like, boring, who cares? Yeah, schnoozo. But within seconds of it starting, just seeing these angels walking around oh Earth and God. dealing with like the foibles of modern people and falling in love with them and being amused by them, it's it took me back to that dogma feeling, man. Whoa. And I was like so tapped in, I cried. These two these two, I think they're like both sides of the same coin you know like that do you think kevin how do you think kevin will feel being i think competitive inventors i think kevin must have been a fan of that movie yeah. down to the fact that his angels are kind of dressed similarly to the angels yes. in Wings of desire they have I, coats on and shit hiding their wings oh my i reckon gosh. it's got to be a big influence i think you must be right because i'm doing the math here I think Wings of Desire is like 89, maybe, yeah, yeah, around that. that time. It's Nick Cave era, so yeah, Nick Cave in Berlin era. Yeah, Columbo's, yeah, Columbo's yeah. in the movie. Columbo's We've got Peter Falk wandering around 89. Berlin. And I think uh, Kevin Smith 
he probably would have watched it because, you know, he is somewhat of a cinephile. He loves movies. And I actually think that hits at the right time and is enough of that breakthrough mainstream art house movie hit. Mm. It must have been front of mind for him. Yeah, I think it, I reckon if I met him, mm. I'd ask him, go, bro, Wings of Desire. Yeah. You like it? I hate it. Can I tell you, this is very interesting. <laughs> I've uh, These two filmmakers we're currently talking about, Vim Vendors and Kevin Smith, are two of the filmmakers I have met that have had a big impact on me. Yeah. And I've had an interaction with both. I think I've, ta- I've obviously talked about both of them on podcasts before. And um, we've, we've used the photo of you <laughs> and um, Kevin, Kevin Smith in Finding Eases. I use it all the time, I reckon, <laughs> that photo. But I remember when I met Vim Vendors, I was like in, in film school and I was so excited. And I was like, he was. He came to do a big talk and a lecture and Q and A at the school when his movie Pina was coming out, the three D uh, dance documentary mm-hmm. about Pina Bausch, the ballet, ballet dancer and choreographer. And he came. And I remember he was talking with one of my lecturers after, and I just remember going up to him and being like. Uh, Mr. Vendors, put my hand out, shook his hand and go, thank you so much for your movies. They mean a lot to me. And then I walked off. Like, I don't even, I think I made eye contact with him. But when I imagine that scenario, I only see it in third person. Like, I can't imagine being in it. But then when I met Kevin was like a year later. And uh, (laughs) completely different experience. I was in... Best Buy in America, Los Angeles, the home of Hollywood itself. Yeah. And I was buying a big fast stack of Criterion Blu-rays to take back to Australia so I could really keep watching those movies for as long as I want. Kevin was in line uh, after me. And I was with my one of my best buddies back in the day, Jack, and we were on we were traveling together. And uh, there's a guy in the line who's wearing who I'm like, I think that's Kevin Smith. I think that's Kevin Smith. And I would go. Uh, I go up to him. I go, um, "Are you Kevin Smith?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm Kevin, man." And um, I got to tell you, it's so weird to go. Are you Kevin Smith? The guy's wearing <laughs> jorts, a cap, and a jersey that says Kevin Smith on it. Oh my god! But also, guys that look like Kevin Smith probably yeah, would they wear. They also wear that shit. <laughs> they wear that exact outfit. <laughs> yeah. And I remember I was like vibrating. I was like vibrating meeting him and um, he was so nice. He was so cool. Of he, was. he was like, oh man, that's a great stack of movies you've got there. It's great. So you love movies, huh? Yeah, cool. I'm actually going to be in Australia next year. It's like, you got to you come see me do my talks if you want. And I was like, oh wow, that's so cool. And then I remember my friend took a photo and it's like us together. And uh, I put, I've got it on my Instagram. I'll put it up again for this podcast. But then I remember sitting with my friend at Starbucks after just looking at the photo and I just like, we, I need to go to Starbucks to sit down because I was so excited. I was like, I can't believe I met him. He's one of my idols. And I was just like, wow. I think I started sweating and I just could, I actually could not believe it, which is so wild to just be like, that man had such a grip on my young life. And now there are countless movies of his that I've not even seen. Yeah, but that's the way. That's always the way. Always the you way. You can't be like a you can't be a fan that that intense for your entire life. Yeah, I mean that was intense. I don't know if I've had that about anything else. Like if I guess if I met like fucking Jabba the Hutt or something <laughs> like that, I might have had the same reaction. Who who else could possibly reach those heights of vibration like would tarantino if you met tarantino would you i think i'd be cool now i'd probably be pretty cool meeting tarantino yeah i'd like pop my shoe off and shake his feet with it or something (laughs) like that (laughs) actually i don't know like it may be 
Um, for if I met Scorsese or something now, I would definitely be like, thank you for your movies, and then walk off or something <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe nah, Mike, maybe Penelope Sphere, someone like that. Yeah, I yeah. feel like I've since then, I've interviewed and met enough people that have had meaning to me where I think I'm getting cooler. Day by day, I'm getting cooler at doing it. Awesome. Would, have you ever had an interaction with Kev? With Kevin, no, 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 never. I've never. I've also never been to one of his talks mm. or anything either, which is um, something we should talk about. His talks, those, those are talks. those are fascinating. They were DVD staples, absolutely. In the two thousands, like every fucking comedy fan, every movie fan or whatever had those DVDs in their fucking collection. Mm. An evening with Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. um, an evening with Kevin Smith too. Evening harder. And sold out a three-evening with Kevin Smith. Back then, I thought they were all funny. Do you think those titles are funny now? Uh, yeah, they're piss funny. I'm pissing my pants right now. Three-evening? I'm cracking up so hard. I really like three-evening. Yeah, I like three I think three-evening Reminds me of Threequalizer. Oh, yeah. One of the best movies. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, everyone knows at least one chunk mm-hmm. of these, which is the uh, Superman Lives yeah. story, right? And these were all basically huge audience, like auditoriums. Like fucking theaters. Hall H shit. Yeah, big theaters mm. where he would basically be... It's a version of stand-up comedy. Yeah. Like, it's him telling interesting memoir-like stories to an audience, a very captivated audience of guys uh, wearing hockey jerseys and shorts. (laughs) (laughs) And women dressed as Harley Quinn. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's like, they really are... He's one of the great speakers. Well, yeah. So, I... Heard a really great interview with him on Vulture's Good One podcast when Whoa. Clerks 3 was coming out. He promo he was promoing that. And Jesse David Fox, I think that's the guy's name, the Something interviewer. Like he asked uh he asked Kevin about this era of his life when he started doing these kind of talking mm-hmm. tours or whatever. And Kevin was like, It it grew again, like everything, it grew out of necessity. He would be doing Q&As at film festivals after his movies premiered or screened or whatever. And sometimes he'd be on panels with really famous, Mm well-respected auteurs and filmmakers, and they would be able to talk about all this artistic shit, and they'd be able to talk about the lenses they use and all the like technical specs of their filmmaking. And he found that he could never keep up with them on that level. And they always felt behind, but he was like, the one thing I could do is tell like stories from behind the scenes and Mm. be like, and be like, Oh, here's what it was like working with George Carlin. Here's what it was like having Carrie Fisher do a scene or whatever. And just tell like funny little anecdotes And he was like, they just grew organically and these stories grew over years until all of a sudden he had, and people would request them at dinner parties, like, Mm. oh, tell the Carrie Fisher story again, tell the Superman live story or whatever, until eventually he just had two and a half hours of stories that he could tell. And he was like, may as well do something with them, put them out on these shows. And they kind of like, I would say they pushed him to the next level of becoming an, uh, like an icon. Truly, because I think it really cements who he is as a filmmaker because he can directly shape how people interact or thought of his movies. Mm. I think that was definitely the case for me going into those. It was like, oh, wow, he's so 
articulate and he's so compelling. He's such a compelling speaker, which is ironic. His most famous character that he plays is a guy who doesn't even say like five peeps. Silent Robert. Silent Robert. That's his birth name. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most quiet, least peeping characters there ever was. But you know what's interesting about Silent Robert is when he does speak, it's usually quite articulate. That's it. And poignant. And poignant. And that's often the case. The strong, silent types are like that. Mm. Who is stronger and more silent than Mr. Bob himself? I can't think of a single person, except for maybe Mr. Bean. Mr. Bean. And silent when he, Bean. But, you know, but when he talks, it's actually <laughs> that's his not birth that name, by the way. <laughs> silent Bean. Silent Bean. But when he talks, it's not James that interesting. He's like, oh, Teddy. That's all he does. Yeah, oh, he doesn't tuddy. say that much. Yeah, he's like, Teddy. Sometimes he says his own name. <laughs> silent Bean. Bean. <laughs> silent Bean. <laughs> That's all he says. Silent Bean. <laughs> Silent Bean is people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Did you watch all these DVDs? Big the, yeah. yeah, probably back to back, brother. The, like a I nine mean, hour the, day the or whatever. Superman story is the one that has probably lived on the, mm-hmm. the longest and also been given the DC fucking seal of approval by becoming canon yeah. now. And it's an interesting story because I always like there's so many different parts with that I remember was like the Tim Burton aspect where Tim Burton was like, I'll never read whatever you did. And it's like, okay, it's like that. The, yeah. You know, all of those kind of things. It's like all that. And was, was is it Bob Evans, the producer? Uh, not Bob Evans. It's the character that Bradley Cooper plays in. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pizza. That's right. The. Yeah, Barbara Streisand's husband. Yeah, let me just get his name. Whose name I can't remember. Yeah, John Peters. Um, and just for the record, I looked it up. You didn't just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> just so everyone at home knows, I googled it and then said it, and then you repeated it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cut that out. So to cut that out too. But um, yeah, and then we see that like come together, like in Licorice Pizza, where it's like mm. you see like the that the shape of that character, be like, oh wow, it is what Kevin Smith said. Like it yeah. is, they use the same language and stuff, and it's like, man, maybe Kevin Smith is like one of our great archivists of like the 20th century, 20th well, century's yeah. popular culture. I think he he definitely was so present in Hollywood for maybe a 15, 20 year period there. 15 years, let's say, mm-hmm. where he was, like, making films in Hollywood uh, and doing script doctoring and doing mm-hmm. punch-up and pitching projects, working on superhero projects and stuff. He's met so many people, so many stars. Had He could dine out for the rest of his career on the stories that he has, I'm sure. But, he is, basically. Well, he's making movies again. He's making movies again. I mean, again. he said he wasn't going to, but he's he's doing it. Yeah. I'm looking at his filmography right now, mm. and to me, there are like these clear movements of his filmography. Absolutely. These clear different types of Kevin Smith films, these different things that he's looking at, the things he's going to make. Mm. And I honestly, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be a two-parter on Kevin. Like almost... Yeah, to yeah. put it in terms I don't quite agree with, but the rise and fall of Kevin Smith. But yeah, I'm looking yeah, now, yeah. it's more interesting than that. I actually think there are three movements. It's like a Kevin Smith trilogy I'm looking at now. I see that as well. I'm looking at it. I see the exact same thing as you. Because, you know, we've got the early years, which we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. Um, then he steps away from View Askew for a bit. He peeks back in every now mm-hmm. and then, Clerks 2. But for the most part... 
he has decided I'm not doing this type of thing anymore. Yeah. And then later, in later years, since 2019, he's back. He's mm. back revisiting the old characters, doing the old stuff. He's back at Quick Stop. I think that that's a three-part structure <laughs> for me. <laughs> I think so. And I think each of those parts, there's a Clerks movie that fits really neatly in it. And mm-hmm. the, each of those, I think, speak to what his evolution is as a filmmaker. Also, I think Kevin Smith, he'll be the only filmmaker who's like late period. Like when I think about mm. late period, I'm thinking about like what Clint Eastwood's doing now and stuff. Um, maybe what Vin Vendors is doing now. Clint, I'm, I'm putting Kevin Smith, he's late period. He's like 50 years old making movie, like old man movies. <laughs> I'd like that. I think Clock 3 is an old man movie big time. Yeah, for and it's sure. It's made by a guy that's not actually super old. I know, but he's lived a lot. He's been big through life. a lot. This this conversation has been way more respectful than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, we're talking about the stuff that we love currently. <laughs> That's true. And I'm also thinking before we kind of move away from his early period mm. um, is more rats is one I'm sticking with again in my head because I'm trying to think of like why the movies around that like Clerks, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob to a lesser extent. I don't really, I've never really loved loved that movie as much. But I think maybe more rats. Another thing why I've never really connected with it is because uh, it's such a it's obviously it's a mall movie, mm. and I never I, malls were not really part of my life very much because I was a city kid. That is really odd to me. Like you I know, mean, you're not from the burbs. I'm from the burbs. Malls yeah. are everything. Like we, you know, obviously I went to Broadway shopping center every now and then, like you know, every weekend or whatever. Mm. But when we were when I was a kid of that age watching those movies, I my life weren't like that. I'm like watching this and go, can't relate, can't relate. And my whole city is my So whole. does everything have to be a one-for-one one yes. theater for me, emotionally connect? <laughs> film needs to be, to be either like, a portal to a completely different world or, identical or a yours. mirror, a mirror that I'm looking so at. So Clerks is a <laughs> Clerks good is example a for you because you can be like, I was, I've mm-hmm. also operated a cash register. Yeah, and Dogma, I'm looking at going, wow, there's creatures from other galaxies. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I'm looking at more, I go, okay, Maybe this view is slightly askew, but it's not what I'm used to. So you can't look at more rats and be like, hmm, instead of a mall, I lived on an, in an area that had shops that lined a street. <laughs> so I'll just imagine that that's where they're hanging out. But it's a different lifestyle, man. Different lifestyle. Not really. Different as. It's different as. I, as I'm someone, Cosmopolitan Metropolitan. As someone who grew up in the suburbs, malls were the town square. They were, hubs. They were the hub. That was where you went. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you met people. Yeah. Like as a teenager, it's like, what are you going to do? We'll go, yeah, we'll yeah. roam the streets, which is something we also did. Yeah. Just roaming the streets. We roam the streets. Or we can all hang out in this giant building where there's lots of different shops and get a fucking donut or yeah. a milkshake or whatever. Meet there Thursday night, go late night shopping, never buy anything. <laughs> Just walk around, talk to girls. The girls would be like, okay, we're going to Super 8. Boys would be like, okay, sick, we're going to EB Games or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Meet up at the donut place again. It was everything. I more and so on paper, I should love it. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Morats that has always kept me at arm's length. And I think it's um trying too hard to be funny. And I don't yeah. love I don't love the leads. Those leads. I don't love the leads. I don't love the uh, London kid. One of the London. God, who is it? It's um. I, I've I reckon I've only seen Morris once in my life. If it's I really the brother think about it. of the. It's Jeremy London. He's the lead of it. Um, 
his brother is the lead in Days and Confused. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And they look very identical. Shannon Jason, Doty, Jason Cliff London. Orlani, yeah. Okay. So, you know, Jason London, lead of Days and Confused and stuff. He's mm. he's good. I accept okay. him. Jeremy London, you don't have... You look identical to him, but you don't have what it takes, yeah. I'm afraid. There's a great photo of him, though. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I also really love Joey Lauren Adams in these movies. Like, obviously... I love Joey Lauren Adams. She's great in more but she's amazing in Chasing Amy. I think that... Seeing her and the way that he works with like the the three primary leads of his that are great actors, Ben Affleck, and I would say Jason Lee, he's a great actor. I love Jason Lee. And he, he's a great screen presence. Like Kevin fucking unlocked it, brother. He unlocked it. It's a shame that he's not really still kicking around doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, he was one of my guys. I loved him. Mm. I've talked about how much I love My Name is Earl. I love it. I might be mm. one of the biggest My Name is Earl fans on the whole earth. <laughs> I love that show so much. Uh, I, I think that that speaks to something. I think Kevin is actually a, a very good director of actors. Yeah, and I agree. underrated so, yeah. underrated so. Yeah, well, I mean, he clearly loves actors. He loves stars, mm-hmm. you know, and he has probably the same level of admiration, but also ego that Paul Thomas Anderson or mm. Quentin Tarantino has, where he's like, I love this star i love looking at their face i can't believe i get to work with them but also i'm not afraid to say hey you can do better than that Oof. that's not great do yeah you know. man i'm looking at this filmography again a movie that we've not touched on that kind of edges into this area but maybe we should save it for a part two mm. is jersey girl yeah yeah well that's the first step away from the viewer skew universe consciously so he's mm. like i'm not going to skew i'm keeping mm. my view Straight, normal. Normal view. Normal view. That's what his other movie should be called. <laughs> Did normal he have view. a different title, like production shingle know. for it? Like, was it not View Askew? Maybe he's just like, yeah, I'm not producing this one. <laughs> no, it is View Askew. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but it's the first film written and directed by Smith not to be set in the View Askew universe and the first not to feature Jay and Silent Bob. Um, so I think we shouldn't talk about it mm-hmm. now. I think we should save it for the next step what because kicks off part two. it is the beginnings of the next era. Um, Very you know. different type of movie as well. I think he's trying to go something really sentimental. And I think that first part of Kevin Smith, that early career, it's quite raw and real. But now we look back at it with sentimentality. And I think sentimentality is what shapes the rest of his Yeah. The rest of his career to a point. Absolutely. God, this is exciting. I can't believe... I mean, oh it makes God. sense we're doing a trilogy. It's very Kev. Yeah, he loves trilogies. Yeah, it's very Star Wars, Kev. Lord of the Rings, he mentions them both. And he also has made his own trilogy of Clerks films. <laughs> and I can't wait for Jones Silent Bob Part 3. <laughs> the Return of Jones Silent Bob. <laughs> you got to watch Reboot. Uh, yeah. At least before the third There's a lot of, of movies this. i got to watch and rewatch. Mm. I, th- I haven't <clears> seen <throat> Jersey Girl since I was a freaking teenager working in a video store. I mean, you don't have to revisit all of them. I will have to. You don't it's have to. It's my honor and my duty, Kev. Kev, I will be doing this for you. I'm okay. fascinated by him. I still respect him immensely. Of course. I still respect him immensely. Are you going to rewatch Clerks 2 before the next episode? I will. I absolutely will. Mm. I will absolutely. I watched it recently. Did you watch it recently? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I watched all three Clerks uh, in the lead up to Clerks 3 to coming out. Oh, okay. I was like, I got to do it. I got to revisit them. And, and you know, that's mm-hmm. the reason why I 
reacted to Clerks 3 the way that I did, in a way that I'm not going to spoil. Yeah. But I, I'm just going to say I had a reaction. And I will say that is the reason we're talking about Kevin Smith is because I saw Clerks 3 as well a couple of months ago. Mm. It has not left the front of my mind since. It's a movie, no movie that I've seen has stuck <laughs> with me as uniquely as Clerks 3. Mm. And to the point where I'm like, I grapple with it every day going, what was my opinion on Clerks 3? I truly, I do. I don't even have an opinion on it yet because it's just like, it sat with me so much. I, it's, uh, it's tendrils are working through my fucking brain cavity right now. You'll have an opinion by the third episode God. of We Need to Talk About Kevin. I pray that I do. I need to move mm-hmm. on with my life, brother. Yeah. I need to move the frick on. I know you will. So that is part one of our multi-part discussion mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about Kevin. And we still need to talk about Kevin. Yeah. And we will continue to talk about Kevin. Mm-hmm. It might not be right <laughs> away. We <laughs> might be, we might have to slowly build up. We might have to slowly build up to get we'll there. We'll see how we go. But there will be a trilogy of Kevin Talks. Definitely. A threevening, if you will. <laughs> In the meantime, Cameron, before we get back to Kevin later on, yeah. what are you doing at the moment that you would love the special creatures to latch onto? All right. I'm looking through my calendar now. I've got a lot of gigs coming up because I'm uh, working on a new hour of stand up for next year. Uh, so God, I don't even know. I mean, I might just put them all on my Instagram. So mm-hmm. keep an eye out on my Instagram for, uh, dates around the country. I'll be in Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle. I'm going to be everywhere. So keep an eye out on my Instagram at I am Cameron James for all those. Also, uh, Wednesday nights at 9 PM on ABC, watch what the fact or WTFAQ. It's also on ABC iView. That's the show that I'm on at the moment. And that's all I'd like to say. Beautiful, beautiful. How about you? Well, at the moment, uh, September 15th, I'm presenting the late, great William Friedkin's classic To Live and Die in L.A., at the Golden Age Cinema. It's sold out pretty quick, but I think there's a couple of extra seats that we might put out there. So if you're listening to this, just like buy straight away because it's going to come. This is like the day before. I've never seen it. Man, great Mm. movie. Do you want one of those seats? When is it? It's 15th of September, Wednesday. I'll give you one of those seats. 15th of September is a Friday, my friend. Fuck, well, i got to get the date right then. 13th? (laughs) Let me go. 13th of September, I'll say. Oh, the 13th. Uh, yes, that is Wednesday, the 13th of September. Cameron, you are correct. It is the 13th of September, the Wednesday. Excellent. And there's still a couple of seats out there, but there might be a couple more. Can so, I take a seat in the projection booth, like next to yeah, the absolutely. machine? I'll even put out a director's chair for you in the main cinema. Fuck Myself, yeah. I'll do it. If you uh, want to come, it's yours, babe. Thank you very much. Man, it'll be a beautiful screening. Great movie. It looks so good. I rewatched it the other day. Far out. It blew me away. Great movie. Hell yeah. Great movie. And then, of course, Brisbane only repulsive liquid film festival. 30th of September is when I'm going to be up there uh, presenting Body Melt with the director, Philip Brophy. And I'll also be presenting Reanimator, two of the greatest goofs ever in cinema history. <laughs> you might blow your own goo. You might, or you might allow me to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. 